Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Praise God. Well, we're going to continue something I started a couple of weeks ago, last week, of course, being the pageant, talking about imitating God or being imitators of God, lesson two. And we find this in the book of uh, Ephesians chapter five, verses one and two. Uh, other translations say it a different way, but I'll share that in a moment. Be therefore followers or imitators of God, imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. And if you go through the book of Ephesians, this fifth chapter, you'll find out he talks about imitating God at least in three ways. And number one, walk in love. Number two, walk in the light. And number three, walk circumspectly or cautiously as you live your life on the earth. We're just going to focus a little bit on walking in love here. We're going to continue that this morning uh, because the love commandment is the commandment of the new covenant. And we are told that we're to love how as he loved us. Well, how in the world am I supposed to imitate his love here upon this earth and love the way he loved me if I don't have a clue as to what this love is all about? Or if I can't even see what love is all about as far as God is concerned from his perspective? Well, as we continue on here, look at Ephesians chapter 3 because I believe in this revelation gave, uh, or I should say given to the Apostle Paul by Jesus makes it very clear that God's love has endless or boundless dimensions. Here, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man that Christ would dwell in your hearts by faith that you being rooted and grounded in what? Agape love, divine love. Rooted and grounded love may be able to comprehend, understand clearly and fully what is the breadth, length, depth, height of God's love that passes knowledge. Why? That you might be filled with all the fullness of God. What a statement. Anybody here want to be filled with all the fullness of God? Then there has to be a revelation of what? The breadth of his love, the length of his love, the depth of his love, and the height of his love. Well, how can we discover that? You all know the verse. John 3.16 gives us a revelation of all four of those endless, boundless dimensions of the love of God. And if we're going to imitate the love of God, then we're going to have to understand these dimensions. Number one, for God so loved the world is a revelation of the breath of God's love. He loves every people group. Red, yellow, black, white, we're all precious in His sight. We sing the song, right? What does that mean? Can we love the way He loved? Well, we're supposed to make a decision because you see, love is not a feeling or an emotion. It is a decision based on principle. I choose to love people the way He loved me. I choose not to have racism. I choose not to be prejudiced. I choose to love. Red, yellow, black, white does not matter. In my sight, they should be precious as well. Amen. We've all been made from one pool of blood, every single one of us. And so we love everybody equally, praise God, and we should walk in that kind of love. So God so loved the world. That's the breath of his love, everyone. So when we make a decision to love everyone, no matter what, unconditionally, what are we doing? Imitating the love of God. Okay, so we love the world that he did what? Number two, 
He gave His only begotten Son. That is the length of God's love. That's to what length God would go to demonstrate His love. We call that the incarnation. To what length would He go to show us that He loves us? The incarnation. Look at 1 John chapter 4. In this was manifested the love of God toward us. In what? Because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world. That's the incarnation, isn't it? That we might live through Him. Here in His love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So God sent Jesus to the world. That's called the incarnation. That's the length of God's love. To what length would He go? To what length would He pour Himself out? He became a man. And I'll be honest with you, you can't wrap your brain around it, and neither can I wrap my brain around it. How the second person of deity, God the Son, the Word, became flesh, was made flesh, this spirit being who created all things enters into the womb of Mary in a body she provides and is born into this world that we live in. It's called the hypostatic union of deity and humanity in one person, which is why there's two names, Jesus Christ, humanity, Jesus, deity, Christ, fused together in one. This wasn't just borrowing a body, this was becoming one with humanity. That's called the incarnation. We say, how can we duplicate that or imitate that? Well, he sent him, right? And he says, as I've been sent by the Father, I'm sending you. He's sending us to love red, yellow, black, and white. So we imitate that. We mimic that. We love humanity the way he loved us. And we've been sent. Recognize you've been a sent one. We are sent into the world for this purpose of demonstrating God's love. So whoever believes in him should not perish as a revelation of the depth of God's love. How deep is God's love? See, we can see songs, sing songs about He's so high, so wide, so deep. But really, what is the revelation of the depth of His love? Hebrews 2.9 tells us very clearly. But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that by the grace of God, He should taste death for every man. Did you hear that language? He would want death? Taste death for every man. You ready for this? If he didn't taste death for, death for you, you would taste death for yourself. Aren't you glad that he tasted death for you? Mm. When you see some good food lying on the table right there, what do you want to do? Just look at it? Or do you want to taste it? You want to taste it. If it's something that you detest, and someone says, taste this, taste this, taste this, what do you do? Mm. Not really. Anybody here want to taste death? I don't. Well, guess what? Someone tasted it for you. So you don't have to taste death. That means he sacrificed himself. So how do I imitate that? I sacrifice myself. Just as he did. I humble myself just as he did. 
to see to it that if I have to lay down my life and crucify my flesh for the benefit of others, then that's what I have to do. We need to imitate that. And then what about the height of God's love? There's a height to God's love. Well, once again, the scriptures are very clear. In the book of uh, Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul was given this revelation by Jesus. And this is from the English Standard Version of the Bible. But God being rich in mercy because of his, what? Great love wherewith he, or with which he loved us, even when we were dead in sins and trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. So we can see in the resurrection of Jesus, he raised us up together to be with him as well. And so he didn't leave us as paupers here upon the earth, just barely saved and getting by. He was raised up. The resurrection was, he was raised up in the resurrection for you and for me. He didn't have to be raised for himself. He could have stayed in the glory world and not come here. But he was raised up to raise us up out of darkness and bring us into the light of his love. That's why he came to be raised up, to raise us up out, to pull us up out of the miry clay and lift us up, praise God. Well, how do I imitate that? You've been sent to love every people group of the world to sacrifice your life and mine and so that we can be people that raise up their level of joy, expectancy, faith, and so on. So we can raise them up, praise God. So we can lift them up so that we can be encouragers to all those, praise God, that God enables to cross our path. So we can imitate God's love that way. Be imitators of God that way. Well, since this is the Christmas season... I really wanted to just kind of focus on number two, which is the length of God's love, and really talk a little bit about the incarnation. So, look in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. It came to pass, when Jesus had made an end of commanding his twelve disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now, when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ... He sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? You know that question is being asked today by many people? A lot of people are saying, Is Jesus really the Son of God? Is he really the Messiah? And many still don't even believe he is the Messiah at all. Many are wondering about his life, and is he really the only way to God? Do we have to believe that he said he, he's the way, truth, and life? Nobody comes to the Father but by him. Do we have to believe that? There are many, many out there that are saying what? There are many ways you could get to God. You could be this faith, that faith, the other faith, and all that. Oh, really? Well, we're going to find that out in just a moment. Now, I want you to see Jesus' answer to that question. Because it's profound. You ready for it? Look at verses 4 and 5 of the same chapter of Matthew. Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John 
line upon line, precept upon precept, all the prophecies that say, I'm the Son of God. No, it didn't say that, did it? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which you do hear and you do see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Now first of all, there's a lot of information here. Can't explore it all. But think about this. John, the Baptist... Are you not the same one who when he came and you saw him, you said, I'm not worthy to untie your shoes. I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. Is he not the same one who came up out of the water and the heavens were open and the Spirit of God fell on him like a dove? And then you heard the voice out of heaven saying, this is my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. John, what's happened to you since then and your imprisonment? What's changed here? You want to see how vulnerable we all are? Just like the man looking in the mirror of God's word. It doesn't take but a moment to walk away. And then you're going in your own way. And you're forgetting what manner of man you were. John saw all that. But guess what? He's still not convinced at this particular moment. Why? Because he's incarcerated. Because he's probably being abused. And et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Is he really the one? See, he's doubting some things. Jesus does not quote all the prophecies but what Jesus does do he speaks of all the transformed lives the changes that have taken place the blind to see the deaf hear the lepers are cleansed the lame walk the poor have the gospel preached you go back and tell him that yes I am the Messiah I am the sent one and I've come not for the law in religion I have come to make a difference in human lives. I've come to set the captives free. To restore dignity to the woman. To cleanse the lepers. To heal the sick. To lift people up out of that miry clay. That's what I've come for. That's what he said. But you know what? To satisfy all of us, what I like to do is explore just seven of the prophecies to let us all know why we believe what we believe in. Someone asks you about, is Jesus really the Messiah? Is he the only way to God? You'll have a revelation of it, and you'll know exactly what you can share with these individuals who might be challenging whether or not he truly is the only way to God. Okay, so number one, we're going to narrow things down here. Number one, is he the one? Is Jesus really the one? Is he really the only way? Well, let's find out what some of these prophecies say. Number one, he's the seed of the woman. He'd be born of a woman, the woman's seed. Well, that's not very narrow. I think we've all been born that way, wouldn't you say? Genesis 3.15 tells us. This is the first prophecy about the coming Messiah and the first prophecy about the redemption of mankind. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman. Notice, between thee and the woman. And between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. We see three judgment sentences here in that one verse. Number one, an ongoing conflict, hostility between the serpent 
or the snake and the woman. I don't know many women that like snakes. An ongoing hostility. You say, I don't know that I see that. Then you've never been in a birthing room. When she's gritting her teeth saying, and I trusted you from the very beginning and you lied to me and look at what you're putting me through right now. I'm telling you, ongoing hostility between the woman and the snake. Ongoing. Then secondly, there's going to be a feud between her seed and his seed. There's going to be a righteous line and an unrighteous line that will butt heads from that time on. And we see that being true, do we not? The kingdom of light, the kingdom of darkness. Cain and Abel, the righteous, the unrighteous. The reason for the flood of Noah was because the wicked were prevailing in the hearts of men and God had to save the world. Can you see that? So we got this butting of heads between the righteous line and the unrighteous line. It's an ongoing thing as well. Number two. And then the third one. He shall bruise your head and thou shalt bruise his heel. The third judgment is her seed is going to bruise your head or take back the authority that you've been given by Adam. And I saw this on a documentary one time. Some people think the way to, to kill a snake, cut off its head. But that's really not the way to do it. You can still get the poison that comes from the, uh, from the snake. And I saw this guy do it. He goes, there's nothing to it. There's no, you want to try this? I don't suggest that you try this. Pick up a rattlesnake by the tail. And what you do, you ever said get a, a, like a wet towel and you flick it like that? And just flick it like that against a rock. Boom. Instant death for the snake. Instant death. Period. That's what Jesus did to the devil. Instant death. To the devil. And thou shalt bruise his heel. Could be speaking of the crucifixion of Christ. Okay. So and also the uh, persecution of the church. But still this was prophesied. Okay was it fulfilled? Well look in the book of Galatians. Chapter 4. But when the fullness of the time was come. God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. So when the time came, which was many years later, 4,000 years later, you talk about being patient. The woman that he was talking about came. And the seed he was talking about came. And then look at also in uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Ghost is the one that overshadowed her. The Holy Ghost is the one that saw to it that the child that was in the womb was not from Adam's fallen sin nature. So we understand that the fact that the blood in the, in the baby's life comes from the father, not from the mother. So if Joseph or any other man would have impregnated Mary, that child would have been born with the Adamic sin nature and with the sin in the sin nature there is no way he could save the world. But because the bloodline comes from the Father, and of course the Father was Father God, 
that the child that was born in her womb was not born of natural generation, but of supernatural generation, came from the throne of Almighty God, the second person, the deity. Now he has blood that he's housing in his veins that is not tainted by the sin nature. And so thank God he is the perfect candidate because his blood type is the blood type for every people group of the world to redeem them from their fallen state. Thanks be unto God for the incarnation. Amen? Praise God. So that's fulfilled right here in, in one person only, Jesus. And once again, though, you could say that could be broad because anyone could be born of a woman. I understand that. But let's go to number two. Number two, we're going to narrow it down. Number two, he's a descendant of Abraham. We know that God said in Genesis chapter 12, he would bless the nations of the world through the descendants of whom? Abraham. Isn't that what he said? So this Messiah, this Christ, this Savior of the world must be a descendant of Abraham. So look at Matthew chapter 1 verse 1. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now we're narrowing it down. Look at Galatians also chapter 3 verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not into seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. So now we see that Christ was born of a woman, of course, fathered by the Holy Ghost. Also, we see that Christ was a descendant of Abraham, right? According to the scriptures, that was fulfilled one person so far, so we narrow it down a little bit at least. But then number three, he had to be of the tribe of Judah. Right? Because that was prophesied. Look at the book of Isaiah. I'm sorry, Genesis, rather. And chapter 49, verse 10. This is from the Amplified Bible. The scepter of our leadership shall not depart from where? Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh, the Messiah, the peaceful one, comes to whom it belongs, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. So now we see he must come from Judah, if he's going to be the Messiah. Well, is that fulfilled? Look in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 5. He's born of a woman. He's a descendant of Abraham. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. When John was in heaven, and he saw no man worthy to take the book and loose the seals thereof. One of the elders said, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. So now we're narrowing it down just a little bit more, are we not? All three. Now the next one is, he must be a descendant of David. He's got to come from the same lineage of David. Look at 2 Samuel. And chapter 7, verses 16 and 17. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established, how long? Forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto whom? Nathan speaks to David prophetically and he says, look, your throne is going to be forever. And you will reign, your descendants will reign on the throne in Jerusalem forever. Well, let's see if he fits there. Is that fulfilled in Jesus? Well, look in the book of uh, Luke, chapter 1. This is Gabriel speaking to Mary. 
And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob, how long? Forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. So now we're narrowing it down even more. He's of the descendants of David. The root of David. Going to sit on the throne. Going to reign forever. Just as it was prophesied. But also look in the book of Luke and chapter 20. I love this about Jesus. I, I pray that you love it as well. You know when the scribes and the Pharisees, so smart, so knowledgeable, so arrogant, have these prideful attitudes, the know-it-alls, you know, the know-it-alls? And every time Jesus wanted to have, play sport with them, he did. Put them in their place, right? All right. He said unto them, how say they that Christ is David's son? He's speaking to the scribes. And David himself saith in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit thou on my right hand. Till I make thine enemies thy footstool, David therefore calleth him Lord. How is he then his son? And there was complete silence like it is right now. They didn't even stumble over their words. Jesus says, durst ask him no more questions. How, in other words, can he be David's son if he's the son of God? How can he be both? Why would they even call him Lord if he's a son? Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 gives us the answer. For unto us a child is born, Jesus. Unto us a son is given, Christ. Jesus came from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way down, praise God. Can you see that? All the way down. So Christ came from the throne, the son is given. God gave his son. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Muddy, God, Everlasting, Father, Prince of Peace. So once again, we narrow it down even further because we see he came from the line of David. Follow the whole thing all the way back. And what you see is Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's sons, the 12 tribes. Then Christ came. Can you see that? That flow? Absolutely. This is his entrance into the world. And then next, look at number five. We're going to make it very narrow. He is announced by a forerunner. And look at Isaiah chapter 40. He's announced by a forerunner. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So now the Messiah is going to have someone who will announce him or introduce him as the Christ, as the Messiah. Where is that fulfilled? Look in the book of Mark, chapter 1. The beginning of the facts of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Just as it is written in the prophet Isaiah, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will make ready your way. A voice of one crying in the wilderness... Shouting in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make his beaten track straight, level and passable. And he quotes Isaiah 40 and verse 3. So we see here line upon line, precept upon precept, we're narrowing it down to this one person, and his name is Jesus Christ. 
both Son of God and Son of Man. Amen. Alright, look at the next one. It's, he was born of a virgin. We're not narrowing it down now. He stands alone. There's only one born of a virgin. He stands alone. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, what does it say? Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. Hallelujah. Well, was that fulfilled somewhere in Scripture? Look in the book of Matthew, chapter 1 again, and verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with the child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take thee, Mary, thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord, of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Now it's getting very narrow. And honestly, praise God, we can say there's only one that stands alone that really meets that criteria. And then finally, the seventh one is he had to be born in Bethlehem. Born in Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you are little to be among this, the clans of Judah, yet out of you shall one come forth for me, who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from ancient days, eternity. Hallelujah. From the Amplified Bible. In other words, the ancient of days now becomes subject to days as a man upon the earth. Was that fulfilled in Christ? Go back to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2, verse 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east, and we are coming to worship him. I can't think of anything better to do. What about you? When Herod the king had heard these things, he was so delighted that he wanted to go see him too and offer some gifts now he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests, notice where he goes, and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. Where should Christ be born? Well, and they said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea. For thus it is written by the prophet, And thou Bethlehem in the land of Judah art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Once again, very specific as to where he is going to be born. Now, all these, there's only seven of them. And of these seven prophecies, of the 300 or more prophecies about the coming Messiah that the scribes should have known, the Pharisees should have known, Jesus didn't mention one of them. 
But all those prophecies that, that pointed to him as being the coming Christ and the Messiah, none of them did you, you would think that these scribes and Pharisees would recognize. None of them were recognized by any of these scribes and Pharisees, or they were ignoring what they were seeing and what they were hearing. Now, you got skeptics out there in the world, and these skeptics, you know what they'll say? Oh, it was just a, just a chance that, that something like that happened. Don't ask Peter Stoner that, because you see, when he was asked that question, said, couldn't that have just been happenstance, it just happened by chance? Well, he's a, a mathematician, and so what he did was he put it together and kind of calculated the whole thing out. And what he discovered was this. For one person to fulfill eight of those prophecies spoken by five different authors over a period of 1,200 years, for eight of them to be fulfilled in one person's life is one in 10 to the 17th power. One in 10 to the, you could say to, to this, one with 17 zeros in front of it. Now, wait a minute. That's just if eight were fulfilled. Can you imagine the number if all 300 of them were fulfilled in one person's life? Some have said this. They calculated this out, that you could fill the state of Texas two feet high with silver dollars, the whole state of Texas. Mark one with a black magic marker, throw it in there, blindfold somebody and have them go in there and pull the one out. So, if all these scribes and Pharisees that are supposed to know the law and the scriptures ignored all these, either did it on purpose, or they were just so blinded by their own religious traditions, they wanted not to see that Christ was their Messiah. And He came to save them from their sins. He came to His own, and His own did what? Received Him not. Beloved, conclusion is this. One day, over 2,000 years ago, a woman by the name of Mary, a young girl, teenager, probably 15 years of age, I'm sure loving God, but probably minding her own business and just loving God every single day. I can't think of anything better to do daily than to say, I want to have a relationship with God and worship Him. Amen. Okay? What happened? She had a visit from an angel named Gabriel. And Gabriel came to her and said to her, you're highly favored among women. I want you to know that God's going to use your body, I'm paraphrasing, to bring forth the Son of the living God. You will conceive in your womb the Son of the living God. And of course she said, how do I know this is going to happen since I know not a man, I'm a virgin. I've never known a man, so how can I know this? Well, keep that on hold just for a moment. After he tells her, it's going to be by the Holy Ghost. Let's shift over to Hebrews that tells us in chapter 10, that when Jesus came into the world, he said something. I can't even imagine what took place in the glory world when this occurred. Imagine this. God the Father saying, someone needs to redeem mankind. Someone needs to robe themselves in flesh. Someone needs to take on humanity. 
Someone needs to liberate my people, my children from their fallen state and condition. Who will go? Michael, you don't qualify. Gabriel, you don't qualify. Other angels, you don't qualify. Archangels, you don't qualify. Cherubim, you don't qualify. Seraphim, you don't qualify. Father, I'll go. A hush comes over all of heaven. What? Wait a minute. Yeah. Sacrifice and burnt offering, thou wouldest not. But a body you have prepared for me. Lo, I said, when I come into the world, sacrifice, thou wouldest not. An animal can't save. An angel can't save. No blood that's tainted can save. It's only going to be the Son of God. So I choose to go to redeem your people and bring them back to you. And I will succeed. So when he comes into the world, what does he say? Sacrifice and offering you what is not. What is she saying? Be it unto me according unto your word. What does he say? I'm coming to do thy will, O God. I'm coming to do thy will, O God. Can you imagine that? That scene in glory, that scene in heaven, when that takes place, a hypostatic union takes place. Deity, Christ, humanity, Jesus, fused together for one purpose and one purpose alone, to come to the earth and pay our ransom. We've not been redeemed with silver or gold, but by the blood of the last lamb that would ever be slain, the Son of the Most High God. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? Oh, glory be to God. Glory be to God. So let's read, let's read Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. And let's see, let's see it written here in Scripture. How can we imitate it? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought him not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. I may be a nobody, but in him I'm a somebody. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? Thought it not, Robert, you will God made himself a reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant. Be a servant, praise God, of the Most High God. And was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Hallelujah. Obey God. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Him in the regeneration of the Son of Man. And let Him know, I'm living for you, to honor you. I'm going to love the world as you love me. I'm going to go to any length I have to go to, to show your love to red, yellow, black, and white. I will not be a pre prejudiced person. I will not be a racist. I'm going to love all people groups of the world because they're all equal in you, Jesus. Sacrifice my life, the depth of his love, the sacrifice of our lives. I lay down my cause, my intents, my purposes, my aspirations, my goals, my dreams. I want yours, Father. I want yours. I want to live for you, Jesus. The height of his love. I'll tell you what, you lift someone up, God will lift you up. Mm. You encourage someone, God will encourage you. You live for Him, He'll live for you. You honor Him, He'll honor you. You set your love on Him, He'll deliver you. He'll set you on high because you know His name. When you call upon Him, He'll answer you. He'll be with you in trouble. He will deliver you and honor you. And with long life, He'll satisfy you and show you His saving strength. The miracle 
of the incarnation is incomprehensible. We can't wrap our brains around it. And you know what concerns me? I think every year that goes by, seemingly the world sees it less and less and less and less. It's not a holiday. It is Christmas. Celebration of the birth of our Lord, the incarnation. Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife, Krista, and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school, if you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of His love for you. And with that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It is our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God, toward Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound, and through a life of worship, bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others. And in all that we do, we want to demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus to the world through a ministry of excellence to God first, and then also to you. So whatever the situation, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I want you to know that we love you, and God loves you, and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan begins by making Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. And if you've never made that decision yet, I'd like to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And if you will, Jesus will become your Savior and your Lord. Just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and I'll accept you and receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, I have called on the name of Jesus. I'm now your child in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.